I wanna share with my podcast audience something that's happening behind the scenes in my podcasting life, but is very front and center in my personal and professional life, which is that I'm talking with more and more corporations lately who wanna bring what I bring to guests here to their corporations. I wanna, one, make it available to my audience, but also make it available for easy reference because I'm having the following, what I'm sharing here, I've said to many, many corporate leaders, and so I wanna make it available for easy reference. For context, you'll see among my podcast guests, many corporate and institutional people, leaders. I'm going to list a whole bunch of them and the corporations where they work. So there's Lorna Davis. She's just retired, but she was the senior advisor to the CEO of Danone. She also was the CEO or president of several major food organizations around the world. Uh, just gave a big TED Talk and is responsible for the largest B Corp ever of Danone USA. There's Dominic Barton, who is the three-time global managing director of McKinsey. Beth Comstock is the former CEO of GE when GE was a Fortune 5 company, and she's on the board of Nike. Bob Langert is the former head of corporate social responsibility at McDonald's. Vincent Stanley is a director at Patagonia, and he's worked there since 1973. He's also a professor at the Yale School of Management. Speaking of business school leaders, there's Tansi Whelan. She's the director of NYU Stern. That's NYU's business school. They're Center for Sustainable Business, and she's the former president of the Rainforest Alliance. Colonel Everett Spain the head of leadership at West Point, and Colonel Mark Reed, the head of geologic engineering at West Point also. Speaking of military, there's a Marine Corps three-star general, Paul Van Riper, retired. Michael Werner, Google's lead for circular economy, and he formerly had a similar role at, at Apple. Then just in this past year, I gave two talks in 2019 at Google. I gave another at Citi and, and at other banks as well. I've spoken at IBM, Boston Consulting Group, BCG, at Coca-Cola, at Lululemon, Oh, a couple other people. There's John Lee Dumas. He's an entrepreneur. There's Dove Barron, who's a leadership guru. I mentioned him because you got to listen to his, his episodes. Then there's Marshall Goldsmith, Dory Clark, Elisa Cohn, all of them number one, very highly rated coaches. And then behind the scenes, a lot of my leadership work, which applies to the environment, I developed a lot with coaching clients at McKinsey, at ExxonMobil, Columbia Business School. I also want to point out, I was a guest recently on MAGAmedia.org. MAGA as in Make America Great Again, as in hardcore Trump supporters. Not the sort of people you'd expect to be pro-environmental, but they liked the message that I brought and they wanted to bring it to their audience, which I think says something about how, you know, I'm not here to tell people what to do. I'm not here to beat people over the head. I'm here to help them do what they want to do, but haven't figured out how. What I provide is a very business-friendly environmental leadership service because business can benefit a lot from this. The most common response I hear from people that I work with in the corporate world is, I thought that this would cost money. I thought this would take time, but it saves time. It saves money. And most of all, for the executives that I work with, what I do replaces their not knowing what to do when they feel they have to act, but they feel like if I act and I do it wrong, I'll be called greenwashing or I'll be called hypocritical or it won't work. And so it's easier for them not to act. I give them confidence to act authentically and genuinely. And when they do it, when I walk them through, people support them for what they do, even when they make mistakes rather than accuse them or criticize them. That's for the individual, for the company, what I do boosts morale and gives them a competitive advantage. Think of how Patagonia can charge a premium. Think of how loyal people are to Patagonia. That's because their leadership gets it. They're, Yvonne Chouinard, also Vincent Stanley, they don't hide their mistakes. They're not trying to be perfect. They're being authentic and genuine. I walk people through a process so that they can act genuinely and authentically so that when people hear it, they say, that's what I want to do. The leader of that company is doing what I want to do. I want to help that person. Not I want to criticize them or look for their flaws, but when I find their flaws, I want to help them. 
because they feel the people who see the leaders leading this way, they realize they're doing what I want to do. It's going to be me next time, so I want to help them because helping them is helping me. The context why companies are looking for environmental leadership training is that most companies, maybe all of them now, they hear demand from their customers, employees, shareholders, from the media to be more sustainable, to be more green, to be more regenerative. And it's almost necessary now if you want to get the top talent. Patagonia does not have to advertise new positions. People are lining up around the block to work there. I've been there. People love it. Exxon has to pay top dollar for talent. People don't want to work there. Yeah, there are going to be a few, but most people, they want the top talent coming out of schools today. They do not want to work at Exxon. They do not want to work at a fossil fuel company. They want to work at a place that not only has a clear environmental strategy, but is open and transparent about it. Just today, I talked to a guy. He runs a business that provides an environmental service. Exxon wanted to hire him. He quoted them a high price because he didn't want to work with them. That's just what they have to deal with. These places that want to change, almost always the impetus to action comes from junior employees. They tend to be younger. They face more of their lives with potential catastrophe. And they're not quite invested in the old ways that the people at the senior levels are, but they aren't the major decision makers. It's easy to think that senior decision makers can just change. After all, everything points to acting. It's time to act. We all read the front page headlines. I'm in New York City right now. It's mid-January. Tomorrow, it's projected to be 60 degrees in January. This is not normal. I don't have to tell you what's going on around the world. Everyone knows what's going on. Why aren't decision makers acting? Well, the decision makers, however much authority they have, they are often the most vulnerable. We've all heard people in organizations called greenwashing and hypocritical. However well-meaning, accusations like that often coming from environmental people who want to see the change happen, accusations like that make the choice for executives harder to act or easier not to act. They risk losing their job or their company value even if they want to act. It's hard for them to because they are particularly vulnerable. As a result, they think that they have to be perfect in order not to be criticized. Perfection is an impossibly high bar. What I have found and what I lead people through, they only have to show that they're doing their best. It's a much lower bar. But... They have to show that they're doing it genuinely and authentically. That's a challenge for most people, but I've walked hundreds of people through this process. I don't think I've hit a thousand yet, but getting there. And I enable this. That's what my business is, is to walk people through so that they authentically and genuinely act and in their acting, share with the world why they're acting. So they don't just tell their companies, do this. Because if they say reduce some plastic use or reduce the paper, employees often respond, oh, they're just trying to save money. But if they share why they're doing it authentically and genuinely, then people say, this is the change I've been looking for. This is a boss I want to work for. I don't want to leave here. I want to help this project. And you can hear this in the conversations I've had on my podcast with the executives that I mentioned. For example, Yvonne Chouinard. Well, I haven't worked with him. I've worked with Vincent Stanley, as I mentioned. Anyway, Yvonne Chouinard is the founder of Patagonia. He behaves far from perfectly. He flies all over the world, but he hides nothing. As a result, people support him for his flaws as well as his company instead of attacking him because they see themselves in him and they want to follow him. If you act without sharing yourself, people judge your actions against perfection. If you share yourself, that's what leaders do. They allow themselves to be vulnerable. Then they support you. I've refined my technique, as I mentioned, over hundreds of projects with executives and leaders in business, politics, culture, education, military, sports, all places where you have leadership. I will describe two parts of what I do. First, the building block, which I describe in more depth in my first TEDx talk, so I'll link to that. And what I call a building block is an environmental leadership technique 
that works with one person to lead them to where they act on the environment for reasons that matter to them. So it's a meaningful thing. People say, Josh, it's so great that you have people do these small things. It's not small. It's meaningful. It's what, this is leadership. It's about the emotions inside. I get people to share their emotions, act on them, and then they act meaningfully and they want to do more. Still, one person won't change a culture. So I'll describe the second part, which uses many building blocks to transform a corporation. In a little more depth, what I call a building block is a four-step process. And again, watch the TEDx talk. I'll link to it for a full description. This is my first TEDx talk at TEDxNYU. It's a four-step process. And the four steps are to ask people what they care about. That's step one. Have them create a way to act on it. Step two. Make it manageable. Step three. And add accountability. Step four. Where they report how it went. It goes well and they want to share. Almost across the board. I'm batting nearly a thousand on this. They know that when they share what they care about and people connect with it, that people are going to like hearing it. As I said, if their employees just heard we're going to use less plastic, well, that might be that they're trying to save money. If they hear that their CEO is trying to do his or her best, they see him or her doing what they themselves want to do. By supporting the CEO, they support themselves. So they don't attack or criticize. They support and want to get to know better and want to emulate. Still, the CEO is just one person. I do the building block with a team including several executives, the CEO generally included, and a few junior people. The junior people are the ones who are going to implement the results. So this is the second part. This is putting many building blocks together. At the beginning of the project, we pick an audience, generally five to 10, maybe a dozen employees, generally including the CEO, maybe a board member. The process for the full team is simple for each person, but pretty involved for the full team in general. So I'll try to describe it briefly. Broadly speaking, I'm going to do the building block with, let's say it's 10 people, just for clarity. I'm going to do the building block with each of the 10 people twice, and then together we're going to do a group exercise at the end. We're going to record all the conversations. The very beginning of the process is we pick what are the, let's say, 10 people that are going to be on this project and an audience that's going to hear the recordings. And that's the choice of the company, not mine. It could be just the team if they want to be, keep things very private. It could be all the employees of the company if their goal is mainly morale. It could be their clients if they want to promote sales and market share. It could be the public if they want PR. The point of having an audience is partly to gain something with the audience so they can hear and also so that the people being recorded in, during these building blocks, that they have accountability. And when you know that someone's going to hear what you say, the authenticity and the genuineness and the digging deep happens a lot. And so it motivates depth. But again, the team chooses it for its goals. So I do the building block with all 10 people. And most tasks that they come up with, as you'll hear on the podcast, they tend to be two weeks to a month. So I have a one-hour conversation with each of the 10 people. Each of them just has a one-hour conversation. It's not a big time commitment on their part. Roughly a month later, after each person has done their task, I meet with them again, and I have the second part of the conversation, which is, how did it go? What was it like? What did you learn from it? Things like that. And then in the second conversation, I say, now we're going to do a second one, a second commitment, this time with a new constraint, that whatever you choose to do, you physically do it at the office. It doesn't have to be work-related, but whatever you do physically has to be at the office, so you get used to it there. So now, now I've had 20 conversations and each person has done two environmental commitments. The third time we meet, now all 10 of them plus me meet together, and we do this exercise. Each of the 10 people always learn. The first project they do is usually a modest one. The second one is almost always bigger. The big thing is that they've learned the emotional and social skills that go with it. You know, reducing your waste is not a matter of just, I don't know, buying an electric car. That's the easy stuff. Really changing leaders leaders get this. You have to face and overcome the social and emotional challenges of, you know, in environmental leadership, it's often emotions of guilt and shame, 
or helplessness or futility, other people saying, why bother? When you really care and stick with it, you learn how to handle those things. Anyone who's learned performance-based skills knows that you have to face and overcome these social and emotional challenges of performance, of what happens when people don't believe in you. You have to figure these things out for yourself. And if you haven't gone through these things, if you haven't faced and overcome these challenges, I'm sorry to say you simply don't know what it takes, what environmental leadership means. It's these emotional things, these beliefs. How do you... All right, I'm not going to get into that. That's what happens experientially when you do this. After all this learning, we meet again, and this time each of the 10 people have done two tasks each. So corporate-wide, they've collectively done 20 tasks, the second usually bigger and more rewarding than the first. In the third meeting, we meet as a group for a half to maybe a full day to do an exercise. This exercise is based on their experience and their teamwork, and it's something I've done many, many times in my initiative work. So read my whole book on initiative to see the basis of where that comes from. But it's a team exercise based on experience, theirs and mine, that the company will implement, usually led by the two junior people who've been part of this engagement from the start. So they love it because they're going to get to work with the CEO and start this company-wide project. Now, I don't know the company. I don't create the project. They do. In this regard, I'm kind of like a basketball coach. I don't put the ball in the hoop. The experienced people do. I coach them to help them do it more effectively. I know how to lead individuals and a team to face and overcome the unique challenges of environmental leadership. Those feelings of shame, guilt, helplessness, anxiety, futility, and things like that. When this team brings this project that they created based on their experience that everyone gets to hear about who listens to their conversations that were recorded, they aren't saying, do as I say, not as I do. They're saying, hear my humanity and my struggles. I did my best. I grew. I learned. And I'm sharing my joy and discovery with you. That creates community. That creates connection. That creates retention. That attracts people to work there. That's what allows Patagonia to charge a premium and people happily pay it. I'll leave off here for now. I've described a lot. There's a lot more to it, but I wanted to share the professional executive work that I'm doing because I love working with individuals as I do on this podcast and seeing them change and hearing them bring that change to others. I love that. That's just individuals. If corporations and governments and other institutions are not involved, we'll get almost nowhere. I want to engage and activate the leaders of these places so that they love acting, that they get the competitive advantages for acting genuinely, authentically, and effectively on environmental issues to boost their morale, to attract talent, and so on for acting more sustainably. If they don't do it, their competitors will, and they'll simply have to follow eventually. So why not enjoy it, take the lead, get that competitive advantage, get that market share, act more sustainably, and create the culture that companies need to survive and thrive in today's world? And create a culture of where people want to act more sustainably, where people are not box-checking but they're driven to do it. So that's what I'm doing outside of this podcast to advance environmental leadership, to start changing corporate culture, government culture, institutional culture, and the world.